0: very important for us in our lives to understand that there, uh, there is someone greater than us that we can lift ourselves up to. What is very strategic is how you go about that. And, and that's at the heart of why Jesus tells this parable that we've been looking at during these weeks, um, the parable of the prodigal son. Because there's some people who feel like by their own self-righteousness, by their own goodness, by their own deeds, they can kindly lift themselves to the Father. That's really at the heart of why Jesus tells this parable. The first of the chapter that this parable is found in, we're given the context or the reason why Jesus tells it. So now the tax collectors and sinners were drawn near to Him, to hear Him. And the Pharisees and scribes, kind of the religious crowd there, they grumbled saying, this man received sinners and eats with them. They were really upset because in their own self-righteousness, they thought they were okay. The Pharisees, based upon who they were and their deeds... And they were looking down upon other people, like the tax collectors and the sinners, and they're upset that Jesus is receiving them. So, the Bible tells us, so he, talking about Jesus, told them this parable. The Pharisees there had a mentality that they were okay. And yet, there are a lot of others that were not okay that they looked down upon as Sinners. When Jesus tells this parable, he challenges everything that they had taught or everything that they had believed, this group of Pharisees. Because in their mind, the, the way to connecting with God was to be very, very good. And if you were very, very good enough in your life, then ultimately you could go to heaven one day, was kind of their mindset. And if we fail to understand that Jesus is telling this parable to expose the hearts of the Pharisees and to let them know that they needed to change, we we miss the whole purpose of why he tells the story. He challenges many things in, in this story. Causes us to rethink a lot of things. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've been in the ministry for years. And then when our small group did this study back in the spring, we did it one semester ahead of you guys and figured out everybody probably needed to do it. Uh, I was confronted with some things. And if you're going to do a small group or if you've just been here on Sunday morning <coughs> during these sermons, hopefully you've been confronted with some things. Because a lot of times people have the wrong idea about what it means to be in a right relationship with God and how to pull that off. In this parable that Jesus tells, the Pharisees would have identified themselves with the elder brother because the elder brother had not ran away. Instead, the elder brother was there at home working really, really hard. And the Pharisees would have thought, yeah, that's the way you do it. And in their mind, they would think, as long as I work really, really hard and I'm obeying God, then then, then I will earn my inheritance from Him. They would have had the viewpoint of the elder brother. And they would look down on people like the younger brother in this story. Last week, we talked about redefining sin. Because in this story, you really have a a kind of a new definition, a fuller definition given of sin. A, A lot of times, we only view sin to be the bad that you do. And doing bad is part of a definition of sin. But to be honest with you, Jesus gives a deeper definition of sin than just being bad. It is also sinful for you to trust and depend upon the good that you think you can do. That is sin. Matter of fact, that's the more deceitful type sin that can keep a person lost for all eternity because they, like the Pharisees or this elder brother, would have thought, Hey, I'm okay. Today, we're going to talk about redefining lostness. Jesus, as He tells this parable, said that there was a man that had two sons. And Jesus intends for us to compare the sons or to contrast them with each other. And you can learn several things by doing so, but you can also get maybe a contrasting view of, of what lostness really is. Today our question is more or less this, what does it really mean to be spiritually lost? And, and we're going to consider two versions of lostness that, that I think we can find in this parable that Jesus tells us. One's a very traditional view and one's kind of a new view that Jesus was sharing in that day and time because he's kind of teaching something that would have blown them away that they might not have ever heard before. So today, our first version of lostness that we can find in this story is that. It's the traditional view. It's what I'm calling younger brother version of lostness. The traditional view of lostness is one where you mess your life up really bad. And it's pictured in what we read about this... This younger brother, because the Bible tells us Jesus spoke these words, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And then we find out from the words of the elder brother, as he's kind of compared himself to the younger brother, we find out that he said, well, he, this son of yours went and wasted everything with prostitutes. As you think about the traditional version of lostness, this younger brother version of lostness, most of the time we think of someone being lost or someone being a sinner as a person that's making rebellious choices. And, and that is clearly included in this story because this young man, this younger son, he makes some very rebellious choices. And that's typically how we view someone being lost. Well, look at the bad choices they're making. Look at their sinful lifestyle. Look at at the way they're living living their lives. Someone making rebellious choices will do so a lot of times because of self-centered attitudes. You can clearly see that in, in the story of this young man. He he, This younger brother was thinking about what he wanted. He was thinking about himself. He wasn't really thinking about what the father wanted. He wasn't thinking about really honoring his father or loving his father or pleasing his father. He was only interested in trying to take the money and run and go live his life however he wanted to. So he goes against conventional wisdom of that day as far as what would be, you know, a moral standard. He goes against the culture of that day. He he just simply cared about getting what he wanted. In, in regards to honoring your parents, I think the Bible even lets us know that there might be, uh, definitely is probably a connection between the way we honor parents and the lifestyle we may wind up living. Because we're actually told in the Bible that we're to honor our father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise that it might go well with you and that you might live long in the land. But that's not the approach that this young man takes. And instead of honoring his father, he decides to dishonor his father, ask for an inheritance, go off and live a very sinful life. And it leads him to a very dangerous, tragic place in his life. And that can still happen to people today. And it might begin with just you making the decision to dishonor your parents. might put you on a pathway that you didn't intend on going. Really where this man kind of started out, dishonoring his father, this younger brother. But our self-centered attitudes most of the time will lead to self-indulgent, self-indulgent actions. And you see that in this younger, this, this younger son. He, he wants what he wants. He's going to be self-centered. He's asking for the money. He takes off and goes into a far country. And when he does so, it really causes him to do things that probably he might have thought he never would have done. And that's what can happen in our lives still yet today when we have very self-centered attitudes. It can cause us to leave behind godly influences. It can cause us to reject the morality that, that maybe we need in our lives and go and live a life that will cause us to face some terrible consequences. You see, rebellious choices will lead to some consequences, resulting consequences. First consequence in this younger brother's life was a wasted life. I mean, the Bible said when he spent everything, there's a famine that arose in the country, and he began to be in need, and he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And there he's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything to eat. This young man probably didn't see this pathway that he had chosen lead into this spot, because any God-fearing Jew, as we've talked about all through this series, would have not had anything to do with caring for pigs and feeding pigs, and yet that's exactly where this young man finds himself. He ruins his life by the choices that he makes. You can read about it all through the Bible, can't you? Bad choices that lead to tragic circumstances. You can read about it in the newspapers. You can hear about it on the news. Regrettably, we experience it in our own lives. Have you ever done that? you ever made a bad choice that led to a bad circumstance? I, I've been in the ministry for 30 years next summer. And before that, I was in law enforcement, not quite 10. And over all those years, I saw a lot of people make bad choices that took them to places they didn't plan on being. That, that's pictured in this choice of this younger son and the truth of the matter is sinful lifestyles us rejecting what god's moral standards would be for our lives and living our lives however we want to it will lead you to places that you did not intend upon going and when you get there you're going to find out something what the world offered you still leaves you hungry Because this man is there, and, and he's, he's, he's feeding pigs, and he's there, and he's, he's hungry inside. You see, to be honest with you, what the world has to offer, sinful living, what the world has to offer, cannot feed and fill up a famished soul. Oh, it might be fun for a little while. I'm not going to lie to you. See, it can be fun for a little while until it runs its course. And you wind up with a, with a broken life, with, with a, a life that's just devastated. And that's what happens to this younger brother that we're looking at. But thankfully, it also resulted in a wake-up call in his life. The Bible lets us know that he literally came to himself and he's there feeding the pigs and he thinks about how it was back at the father's house and how even the servants there had plenty to eat and he's here hungry about to die and he comes to this conclusion. He has this wake-up call, I'll rise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And he gets up and he does that. He goes to the Father. And what you have in that action is a picture of what repentance is. Repentance is coming to an awareness of where you are in your life, seeing that you're in a bad place, you've gone away from where God wants you to be, and you have a wake-up call, you stop and you go in the direction that God wants you to go. That's a picture of repentance. The small group that I'm leading this time, we're also doing a a study by Timothy Keller that's entitled The Gospel in Life. And, And in this past week's study, he defined repentance like this. Putting things to death in your life. If there are things there that don't need to be there, you need to put them to death. That's what happens with this young man. He has a wake-up call. Not every younger brother type will have a wake-up call and listen to it, but this man does. He experiences a wake-up call. He recognizes where he is at in life. He sees the error of his choices. In the midst of this huge life collapse, he sees the fall of his ways and he returns to the Father. That's the traditional view of lostness. But what we really need to wrap our minds around today and the more important part of this story for us is not just the traditional view of lostness because it's kind of like the traditional view of sin. We know what that looks like. We know what the traditional view of lostness looks like and you see it in this younger brother. But what we really need to focus on today is is this. We need to focus on the, the redefined elder brother version of lostness that Jesus gives us. Remember, he's contrasting these two Sons. The first one gives us a really good picture of what it looks like to be traditionally lost, to be traditionally a sinner. But Jesus also takes this elder brother and he gives us a picture of lostness. Jesus said this about this elder brother, but he was angry and refused to go in. (laughs) Now, let's stop for a minute and honestly think about things here. In comparison to what the younger brother had done, In our way of looking at things, it kind of makes the elder brother look like a saint, doesn't it? I mean, after all, so what? He got angry and he refused to go in. might be the way we look at it. How bad can that be in light of what the younger brother did? Wasting everything, dishonoring his father, going, hanging out with prostitutes, ruining his life. But when we stop to consider the words that Jesus actually used here as he was telling the story, it gives us a little bit clearer picture of the heart and the problem that this elder brother had. He said he became angry, and and the word means to really be enraged. It it means that you've got violent passion. It it even has the implication of wanting to punish somebody or seek vengeance or revenge upon someone. In other words, this elder brother is mad enough to kill somebody. (laughs) That's how mad he is. And Jesus said he refused to go in. He refused to go to the party. The father had accepted that younger son back, and he's throwing kind of like a celebration of grace, letting him back into the family in spite of all the bad choices that he made. And the older brother comes home and he finds a celebration going and he's so mad and angry about it, he refuses to go in. And and the word that Jesus used here in the the Greek means that he made an active choice. In other words, it wasn't an oversight, it wasn't a mistake. The elder brother clearly understood what was taking place. And he made a conscious determination, a choice that I'm not going to have anything to do with this. I'm not going to go into that party of grace. And you see, that's the picture that Jesus gives of the hearts of Pharisees. That's why he's telling this story. Because Pharisees, like this elder brother, would think, hey, I'm okay. I didn't run off. I stayed here and I worked. The Pharisees would say, I'm all right. I'm I'm on the outside. Look at all I do. Look at how I serve God. Look at how I worship God. Look at everything that I do. But they are dependent upon their own goodness and their own works. And that's where the problem comes in. That's what makes this elder brother version of lostness so dangerous. Because what you're doing makes you think you're okay. Like the elder brother, if you ask him, in comparison to what your younger brother did, are you okay? And he said, oh yeah, I'm fine. If you'd ask the Pharisees, in comparison to the tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus was receiving are you okay? They would have said, oh, I'm fine. I'm a lot better than they are. When the truth of the matter is they had a major heart problem. And the heart problem really surrounded them trying to depend upon Themselves. See, the truth in Jesus' story about this elder brother reveals to us there's a much more dangerous version of lostness that can conceal itself in a person's heart and deceive them concerning their true spiritual condition. The younger brother knew he was wrong. If you had asked the younger brother, have you messed up? he said, sure I did. He recognized it, repented, went back to the father. If you had asked the elder brother, like the Pharisees Jesus talks about in this story, they would have said, oh, we're right, we're okay. So this elder brother of lostness is really deceptive, and that means it's very devastating because a person can be lost thinking that they're okay. Thinking that everything is all right, when the truth of the matter is they're really spiritually lost because they're trusting in themselves to be their own Savior, and they're not trusting and God to be their Savior. So what are some features? If we're going to talk about this really dangerous, deceitful version of lostness that can mislead a person, what are some features of, of this type of lostness? Here's the first feature that we can see in, in this elder brother's life. Resentful attitudes that fuel anger and bitterness in your heart. Like I said earlier, he was angry he refused to go in. He's really resentful about everything that was happening. After all, he would stayed there and he'd worked really hard. How dare our father bring back his younger son that lives such a sinful life? Elder brother types, if you have that mentality, you can find yourself easily being resentful of others, easily being resentful of people you think of as a younger brother sinner, easily being resentful of circumstances you're facing in life because you've convinced yourself since you're living a good life, you ought to get a good life from God. Since you're being really, really good, then God ought to be really, really good to you. That's what elder brothers have convinced themselves. They view life like this. After all, I've earned a good life by my goodness. God, you ought to give me a good life. I ought to have good circumstances. Everything ought to go my way because I've been so good. In other words, they they think they're earning their way and they think, since they ought to have a good life when it doesn't happen the way they think it should they get real angry at some people first of all they get angry at the younger brother types that I mentioned a moment ago oh, look at those terrible sinners I'm going to put you on guard about something we'll come back to near the end of the message we need to be very very careful as Christians that we don't adopt that elder brother syndrome to where we just look down on everybody else and we're really resentful Especially if we see it looks like they're having a good time in life, you know. Younger brother times also can be really resentful of God the Father. See, in, in this story, the elder brother's mad at his father because of what the father's doing, because he, he dared to let this younger, sinful son come back home. He thought because he had been so faithful serving his father that the father owed him to listen to him. and elder brother type, still yet today, will get mad at God for the same reason. Someone that's got an elder brother mentality, thinking that they're manipulating God, that because they're serving God, God ought to give them everything they want. When their life doesn't go their way, you know who they tend to get mad at? They get mad at God well, God, I've I've been doing this for you. I've been faithful to you. God, how dare you let me face this? And they get mad at God. Elder brother types also will get very angry, very resentful at suffering and other negative circumstances in their life because you see elder brothers view life as though it ought to be results oriented. Uh, Kind of what I've already been talking about. Because I'm serving you, I ought to get a good life. Because I'm being faithful, I shouldn't face any bad circumstances in life. And then when that is challenged, when that mindset is challenged, and even though they're living a good life and they're not getting a good life, they get really, really bitter and really upset. Like, how, how dare God let me suffer? And they'll get angry at, at circumstances. If that's your mentality, can I recommend that you go read something? And in other words, if you think because of your relationship to God the way you've been serving God and doing, doing, doing for Him, you should never ever suffer, can I invite you to go read something? It's called the book of Job. Because if you'll read the book of Job, you'll find even though you've been very, very good sometimes, you can really, really suffer sometimes. And God has a reason behind it. I'd Didn't mention it's the first service, but uh, there's this redhead guy, this big red beard, and he's kind of hard to ignore sitting down here in front of me. But Kyle posted something on Facebook this week that addressed a sermon that I preached a couple years ago. And it's the lie. People come up and tell you God will never put more on you than what you can handle. And that is an outright lie from the pits of hell. Because I think God intentionally allows us to face more than we can handle because he wants us to depend upon him, not ourselves. And yet, elder brother types, when bad things happen, in life isn't going their way. They get really, really upset at their circumstances. Dr. Keller put it like this in, in his book. He said, The good life is not lived for the delight in the good deeds themselves, but as calculated ways to control their environment. In other words, someone that's an elder brother type, they're just wanting to control their environment. They don't really care about the good deeds. They don't really care about helping somebody. They don't really care about loving God and honoring God. They're just doing it as a calculated effort to control what happens around them. Timothy Keller gives an illustration in his book of a story that Elizabeth Elliot told. Uh, and, and it's from the Apocrypha. So let me set that up just a minute. The Apocrypha, most of you may know this, but some of you may not, so I didn't want you to be confused. The Apocrypha is, is is a group of of books that are not included in the canon of Scriptures because they didn't meet a lot of criteria, although you can get some historical facts out of them. So it's not the Bible, but it still tells some, some stories sometimes that might have some historical basis to it. And Elizabeth Elliott tells a story from one of the Apocryphal books. And the story tells about Jesus and the disciples one day. They're just out walking around. They're following Jesus. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, go pick up a rock and follow me. So all the disciples go over and pick up a rock and, you know, decide which one they want. And, uh, and they pick it up and start to carry Jesus. Uh, Peter, in all of his good calculations... You know, the way Peter's attitude can be, Peter being Peter, he uh, goes over and he picks up a pebble. (laughs) And he carries it. Long about lunchtime, Jesus sits down and he tells them to bring all of your rocks over here and lay them down. And when they do, poof, Jesus changes the rocks to bread. So in other words, if you were carrying a pretty good-sized rock, you got a pretty good piece of bread to eat. But if you're like Peter and you've been carrying this little pebble around, you've you got a, maybe a small morsel of food that day. So Peter kind of has an aha moment, and, and, and then Jesus tells him, all the rest of the disciples after they eat, go pick up a rock and follow me. So Peter thinks, I can't wait till supper time. So Peter goes over and he finds this large boulder and he picks it up and he carries it trying to follow Jesus around all day and it's really, really hard, and, and he's having to work at it and sweat it and everything else. And then along about supper time, Jesus tells all the disciples to come over and cast your rock in in the water that was close by a stream. So they all do so, and Peter's standing there looking really, really perplexed. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, don't you remember what I ask you to do? I ask you to pick up a rock and follow me. In in, in other words, what Peter was trying to do was control his environment. He was trying to control the blessing by his own ingenuity, by his own labor. And he wasn't really carrying the rock for Jesus, he was carrying the rock for himself. And that's a significant point for us to grab in the difference between a younger brother type of sinner, a younger brother type of lostness, and an elder brother type of lostness, because an elder brother's doing this. He's not carrying the rock for Jesus. Whatever it is he's doing, he's carrying the rock for himself. And when life doesn't go his way, he gets really, really, really upset. Not just at sinners, not just at... God, not just at circumstances like suffering, but these types of elder brother mentalities, those those that think like this, also get really mad at themselves a lot of times. Because when things have not gone like they think they should, a lot of times they will internalize it in... Even though on the outside they've got this facade of being very, very good, and now they're all of a sudden facing a problem in their life or life's not going the way they think it should, they start to blame themselves because they never know when they've been good enough. You you understand that's the curse of works religion. If you're trying to work hard enough to earn your way to heaven, to earn your relationship with God, tell me when you ever know you've done enough. You, you never do in an elder brother mentality will get really mad at himself when life isn't going like he thinks it should because he he's never fully convinced that he's pleased the Father. He's never fully convinced that God really loves him. He can never really have joy and celebration in his heart because inside, if he's being honest at all with himself, he understands that inside, even though on the outside he might look good, on the inside he's got some problems. And life's not going like he thinks it should, so he gets upset with himself. He has a lack of assurance in the father's love. Like this elder brother looks at the father and he says, you never throw me a party, you've never given me even a goat. And look what you've done for this younger brother. Here's what Dr. Keller writes in his book. As long as you're trying to earn your salvation by controlling God through your goodness, you will never be sure you've been good enough for Him. You simply aren't sure that God loves and delights in you, and as a result of that, you face this irresolvable guilt in your life. See, that's why works, religion can never ever satisfy. That's why a person never ever knows when they've been good enough to go to heaven, because this irresolvable guilt, because they don't have any place to lay their guilt. Thank God for the cross, amen? Amen. Thank God for grace. Thank God there's a place that we can lay our guilt down because Jesus paid for all of our sins and we can resolve the guilt that we want to carry in our lives if we'll leave it at the foot of the cross. But elder brothers don't do that because they're not trusting in grace. They're trusting in their own abilities. So one feature of this elder brother version of lostness is that they'll have resentful attitudes and get really, really mad and bitter because life doesn't go the way they think that it should go, and they get mad either at the younger brother types, God, suffering in life circumstances, or even get mad at themselves. Second feature of it is this, a superiority complex. A second feature of this elder brother version of lostness is that they have a superiority complex <coughs> that feeds... Self-righteousness in their life. He answered his father, Look, all these years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property of prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Do you see how the elder brother compares himself with the younger brother? He says, look at me, I've been really, really faithful. I've stayed here and I've worked for you, but now look at this other brother. Look at this other son of yours. Look at what he's done. Man, he's been hanging out with prostitutes. This prostitute lover, how how dare you receive him? I'm so much better than he is. He's, He's drawn a contrast between himself and this lover of prostitutes. You see, elder brothers tend to do that. Because if we can make ourselves think we're better than somebody else and look down on somebody else, it can maybe, we can make ourselves feel a little bit better and a little bit self-righteous and think we're okay. Here's the problem with that. We tend to look at each other, other people in the world, and we'll contrast ourselves with someone else and they'll make us feel okay. The problem with that is this. I'm not your measuring stick for whether you're righteous or not. The person beside of you, no one else in this building, no one else out in this world, is the measuring stick for you to compare yourself to and decide if you're okay. The measuring stick is Jesus Christ. And if we will compare ourselves to Jesus, none of us will get self-righteous. If we will compare ourselves to Christ, all of us will realize how messed up we are. Yeah, this younger brother had his problems. He made a lot of mistakes. But to be honest with you, the elder brother, in his own way had just as dark and terrible sins in his heart. It might not have been the same as a younger brother, but he still had sin in his heart. And he's using this measuring skill to look at his younger brother and think, man, look how good I am. When the truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us that nobody's good. No one is righteous by their own merit, because in Romans 3, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So if we're all sinners, what good is to compare ourselves with each other? The standard is Christ, not each other. If you're comparing yourself to someone else to make yourself feel good, some other human being, to make yourself feel self-righteous, that righteousness is very deceitful because you're not righteous. You might just be a little bit better in your own mind than somebody else. It's awfully easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to fall prey to that. But if we'll be honest in our hearts, I, my sin may not be your sin, but I've got my own sin. Amen? Just like the distinctiveness between these two, a feeling of, of superiority in, in in our lives will, will really be something that will result in a terrible wake-up call one day because Jesus said this, On that day, many will say to me, He's talking about a day of judgment, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? In other words, kind of like this elder brother in this story, did I not stay home and keep the field? Did I not do this for you? Did I not do that for you? And then Jesus said, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. Man, imagine the shock of that thinking that they're good, thinking about what they were doing themselves. They made themselves righteous before God. And Jesus said, in a day of judgment, because you depended upon what you can do and what you have done, I will look at you and say, I never knew you depart from me. That's why this version of lostness is so dangerous. This is how Jesus redefines sin. This is how Jesus redefines lostness, for somebody to trust in their own abilities and their own goodness. The last feature of this type of lostness that we can find in this story of this elder brother is someone that has a lot of religious service or religious activity in their lives, and yet they still feel empty inside. A lost religious person might be really highly moral, and they might be trying to do a lot of good things, But since their motives are wrong, no matter how much they do, they never have peace in their heart because their motives are wrong. The elder brother in this story was not staying at home serving the Father because he loved the Father and because he wanted to please the Father. He was doing it for his own motives, he wanted to get the rest of the inheritance. The younger brother just chose a different path to trying to get the money. This elder brother had religious service, religious activity, and yet he he would wind up feeling empty in his heart, like we seem to find him here at the end of this story, because he's upset, he's frustrated, he can't believe what's happened, he refuses to go to the party, and he's got this emptiness inside of him. His motive wasn't love for the Father, his motive was getting what he wanted. To illustrate that in, in, his, in his book, if you're reading through the book, it's on page 60 through 62. But to illustrate that in his book, uh, Dr. Timothy Keller tells a story. Before I tell the story, just in case you're not reading through the book, let me set it up just a little bit for you. If you are trying to impress a king or president, you know, in our day and time, if you are trying to impress some big ruler, some big leader, would you take him a carrot or would you take him a horse if you were trying to give him something that you think would impress him? Now, if you have read the story in the book and going through a small group, you understand why I say that. If you have not read the story in a book, you're probably thinking, man, if I was going to give a carrot or a nice day into somebody to show them that I wanted to honor them and to try and impress them, I think I'd give them a horse instead of giving them a carrot. that sound logical? Well, in the story, he tells about a gardener. And this gardener had grown what, in his estimation, would be the finest, greatest carrot that he would ever grow. And because he loved the king, he went to see the king. And he took this carrot to him. And he told the king, this is the the greatest, the best carrot I will ever, ever grow. And and as a token of my appreciation and honor for you, king, I want to give it to you. So he gives it to the king and turns around and walks off, not expecting anything in return. But the king discerns that his heart and his motives are pure. So the king stops him and he says, listen, I own some land beside of your land. And and because you have done this for me, I want to give you the land that I own. And that way you can farm all of it. Inside the king's court, there was a noble man that was listening to all this and, and thinking to himself. He thought, man, if the king will do that for a carrot, what in the world would he give me if I, if I take him something grander? So this nobleman who raised horses went and got a stallion and he brought it to the king and he comes to the king and says, Oh, great king, here's a token of my appreciation, my honor to you. I want to give you this stallion. But the king discerned the nobleman's heart and knew why he was doing it and it was not a pure motive. So the king accepted the horse and dismissed him. And the nobleman's kind of standing there looking perplexed. And the king said this, The gardener gave me the carrot. You gave yourself the horse. And if your motive in whatever you do, religiously, is for yourself, and not truly for King Jesus. You might need to evaluate your motives and evaluate if you're trusting in your own good works, in your own abilities, rather than trusting in His grace and in His mercy. Because you might just be guilty of being lost in this elder brother version of lostness that Jesus redefines here. serious question is this. Whatever you're doing right now that you think you're doing for God, are you really doing it for God or are you doing it for yourself? Whatever you're doing in your life that you think is for Jesus or, or you assume is for Jesus, honestly evaluate it. Are you really doing it for Jesus or are you doing it for yourself? That might cause some of you to evaluate why you're even here this morning. Are you here because you really love Jesus, you want to worship Him, you want to honor Him? Or, or are you here for yourself? Thinking you're going to earn somehow by attending church your way to heaven. Did you put an offering in the offering baskets when it went by earlier? Really because you wanted to give Jesus an offering and you wanted to honor Him? Or did you throw it in there because you're kind of doing it for yourself, your own motives? You're somehow thinking you're earning your way to heaven. Why did you pray this week? Why did you read your Bible this week? Why did you do anything this week that you remotely thought might have been spiritual? Did you do it for yourself or did you really, really, really do it for Jesus? Because the problem is if someone is doing everything that they do, thinking they're earning their salvation, earning their way like this elder brother, earning the inheritance, you might very well not be authentically saved, and you might be lost. If you're trusting in your own goodness and your own works instead of trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. In closing this chapter out, Dr. Keller puts it like this. He says, Why is it important for us to know that Jesus exposes elder brother lostness as being wrong and destructive as the younger brother lostness? In other words, why do we need to think about this? Why do we need to understand these two potential versions of lostness at all? And he gives us these three reasons. Number one, elder brothers need to see themselves in the mirror. That's why we need to be confronted with a story. You need to see yourself. If you are someone that's dependent upon your own works, your own abilities, and that's where you are banking your spirituality and your entrance into heaven one day, you need to see yourself. Because if you're trusting in yourself and what you can do, I'm not trying to defend you this morning, I'm trying to help you. If you're trusting in yourself and what you can do, you're still lost. Because salvation comes through what He has done in our faith in Him, not faith in ourselves. Second reason we need to be confronted with these two versions of lostness is that hurt younger brothers need to understand the gospel also condemns moralistic, legalistic elder brothers. Because you see, there, there are a lot of hurt younger brothers that have been hurt by elder brothers and they, and they want to sign off on religion. They, they get to the point because of being hurt by elder brothers, they don't have anything to do with God, they don't have anything to do with church, they don't have anything to do with, quote, Christians. Timothy Keller pastors in New York City and they have multitudes of people who are like younger brother types who have ran away from home trying to get away from elder brother influences because they've been so hurt by elder brother Christians that they don't want to hear about God, know anything about God, be around any Christians, be around church because their past culture is, the only thing it's done is hurt me. And that's why these hurt younger brothers need to understand, yes, the Bible does condemn immoral activity, but guess what? It also condemns legalistic, self-righteous Pharisees, elder brother types. And the third reason we need to listen to this story and be confronted with it today at all is simply this, genuine Christians need to be on guard against becoming elder brotherish. You want to know why? Because we do hurt people. There are elder brothers who are fully, fully, fully trusted in their own goodness, and that's an elder brother that's lost. But there are also authentic Christians who, if we're not careful, we can slide into acting like elder brothers because it's all easy. Will you admit it? I mean, honestly, admit it. Even though we're Christians and you know you've trusted in Christ, you know your salvation is based upon Him, it's really, really easy for us to start looking down on people, isn't it? And start condemning and judging and you know other people, and we can hurt them. We can cause people to where they don't want to have anything to do with religion, don't want to have anything to do with Christ, don't want to have anything to do with church by our own actions. And that's why we need to be confronted with the story of the elder brother because we need to be on guard that you and I don't become like elder brothers ourselves. It's about nice eyes closed for a minute because I want to ask about three questions. And then we're going to have this thing we call an invitation. please honor this and one look around except myself because I want this to really be kind of between you and God and, and me. And this just kind of helps me evaluate and maybe help pray for you. So the course, first question I want to ask you is this. How, how many of you consider yourselves at this point in your life a non-believer in Christ? Do you consider yourselves lost? Will you be honest enough to slip your hand up if that's where you see yourself? Anyone, anywhere? Do you consider yourself lost? lost Now, heads still bowed and eyes still closed, but I I want to mention something. No one in the first service or this service raised their hands, uh, and that might make us feel good. The truth of the matter is that means we need to work at getting lost people in here, and we need to be developing relationships with them, because I ought to be able to ask that on any given Sunday, and there'll be multitudes of hands go up, because we are reaching out to people who are lost and trying to get them to Christ. Do you agree with that? Head still bowed and eyes still closed. Second question is is this, how many of you consider yourself without a doubt a true believer? You know you've trusted in Jesus, you know you're on the way to heaven. Raise your hand, hold it there. Y'all do that proudly if you know that's true. You consider yourself a true believer. You know you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Thank you, hands down. And this third question is really, really, I guess, maybe for an evaluation standpoint for, for myself and our, our staff and church ministry uh, in, in all. Um, third question and last question before we have the invitation is, is simply this. H- how many of you consider yourselves hurt younger brothers? And let me give you a different terminology for that. How many of you would consider yourselves recovering believers? Because you have been hurt by older brothers. And if you consider yourself a recovering believer because you have been hurt by elder brother attitudes, would you raise your hand and hold it there? We've got a lot of people we minister to that are recovering from being hurt by religion, hurt by church, hurt by people who act like elder brothers. Father, Lord, Lord, right now, help each person here to honestly evaluate in their own heart. Father, if there's some here that do not know Christ and they're dependent upon their own goodness or their own good words, show them that's impossible. Show them that does not work. And that's just a, a different version of sin, a different version of being lost. And give them the faith they need right now just to admit that they they are a sinner and that they need to trust in Christ who died and paid for their sins on the cross. Father, if there's anyone here that's deceived right now because they've been dependent upon their own goodness, their own works, their own deeds, and the truth of the matter is they are really spiritually lost, even though maybe they thought they were okay. Father, help them to understand right now that salvation is only found as a gift from you by your grace through the, through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our sins. And Father, if there are any of us that are acting like elder brothers and we are hurting people and causing a wedge, a wall to be between them and you, forgive us. God, help us to repent of it. Help us to be aware as we move forward from this point on that we would be aware of elder brother attitudes in our lives that hurt others and keep others from you. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.